This is Oblivion with David Miller and David Overby. Time it is. Time it is. Time for podcast. Oblivion, man. Well, I was got some disheartening news from reading BBC this morning. They came out with a seemed like a fairly small study, but it was the study was on anti antibodies of COVID and people, and um, and it was you had there were fewer antibodies and uh, over time from people with asymptom that were asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means uh, that if you're asymptomatic, your immunity uh, doesn't last very long, and you can get it again. Uh, <clears throat> and because uh, your body probably doesn't think it needs to build antibodies if you don't have symptoms. Well, it, it just happens that it may be the case because it's um. Uh, what are they? A coronavirus. Well, it's a coronavirus that there's some common common cold coronaviruses. Right. There is the common cold coronavirus, and it you know has a quickly fading immune thing too, and that's why you can get it more than once. Right. I mean, most diseases, fortunately, you get lifelong immunity from it, getting them or right. getting the vaccine, but. Uh, right. It looks like that it's quite possible that um, you know coronavirus will be like a flu where you got to get one every year or something like that. You know, um, you got to get the shot every year. Yeah, as long as, it, as, long as the shot works. Yeah. Right. So. Right. Of course, if a shot exists, which right now we don't have a shot. Yeah. I mean, I did hear from a a virologist that sounded like knew what I was talking about that, you know, apparently it's by the structure of the virus that it looks promising. It'll at least work. Now, whether long, how long it works is the uh, <clears throat> question in there. So anyway, I mean, that seems like it'd be so interesting if, you know, they couldn't really find an effective one. And it just kept, it never goes away. You know, it keeps rolling back through, you know. That would be quite the permanent change. And you know. I'm not sure interesting is the <laughs> <Yeah>. adjective. <laughs> More like a, yeah. a drag is what I would say. Calamity. Yeah. So um, but in some ways, in, in, in some ways, uh, unfortunately, uh, I would have to say a good thing, because I just think that the way humanity, but especially America, has been living has just been the real nightmare. Well, the overall term is unsustainable, you know, <laughs> without right. any, I use that stuff. terrible things that might. But also just kind of a, a psychotic rampage. Right. I mean, just destroying nature and incredible pollution, war, consumption. And what's really pathetic is 
we're at a time in human history when we know we shouldn't be living like this and and we don't have to live like this. I mean, we're at a time in human history when there are other ways to do things and other ways to live and uh, but we just still cling to 1870. Well, in some ways, it's yeah, clinging to the past. It's like, in some ways, it's more primitive than the past was, at least in the. Well, sure, because at least in the in the past, it was it was all people knew, and it was. Uh, I mean, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, people had to feel like, hey, we've figured out how to improve things. Uh, but for things to be just as bad, I mean, the, the longer you move forward in history without uh, making corrective changes or improving things, the worse the things get. I still go back to those images of being able to see the stars at night and being able to see the Himalaya from a hundred miles away and being able to see the fish and the canals in Venice as just such an obvious sign that you humans have been living the wrong way. <laughs> Look at, you know, how beautiful and amazing this world that you have actually is and what you're doing to it. And of course, people are just anxious to get back out there and pollute even more and get a haircut and spread the virus. Well, and well, whether or not you're anxious or not, um, I mean, things do have to be done. I mean, things do have to be produced, to, you know, food, <clears throat> essentials. Um, and uh, no, no. Now, Dave, you're starting to sound like a Republican. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think even even if we lived in a, a, a utopian socialist utopia or whatnot, mm -hmm. we you'd still have to contend with the same issue because you do have to balance people having to get together to make things and to work and you know you just can't people just can't sit at home forever uh, no matter what the system yes but there's always this thing called innovative thinking where you're you're coming up with new ideas right yeah so you, you can't look at a situation as though that well since we don't have the idea or the way of doing things right now then there's no alternative other than um, the way that we cur currently do things yeah well, but I, I don't think you can get around um, people getting together. I mean, you just have to institute protections that they're able to do it, right? I mean, are we talking about COVID or are we talking about just the rampant uh, consumerism, you know, toxic lifestyle? Well, trying to blend the both, I mean, the responses to... Uh, you know, because 
kind of the overall thing is seeing how the society, the system we have, uh, how responsive it is to the situation. Um, and I think that a socialist or utopian or anarchist situation, you'd still have to figure out, right, how to, for people to, to be able to work and live their lives more or less the same way, uh, the same challenge would be there. Now, of course, I would think that um, the whole point of, of actual democratic society is that people would then, like you're saying, use their creative power to quickly figure it out, what they the best path to go to be able to balance, you know, people having to be around each other and public safety. I guess the right. thing is now is there's just no way to look beyond um, you know, the neoliberal way of looking at things, the business running way of looking. And of course that doesn't have the like you know, the psychopathic thing of not having humans as the center of decisions, you know, it's right. profit and uh, well, I mean that's it. That is the overwhelming value of our society. So that means that America is going down, <laughs> going down, and going down fast. Yeah, well, it's um, this is the only beginning. You know, just to, what I was talking about at first is kind of ominous, but it, you know, we were expecting it to go on at least a year if not more than before the vaccine shows up. And even then, it, I still rolled through periodically and be a constant risk. Well, I think that it's getting to the point where uh, it's becoming endemic, at least to American society. And uh, I think I saw a, an article that, that says... Uh, uh, some people think that it's too late in America to do anything about it, that we now live in a plague state. <laughs> well, that's a, a, that's, a, out of control. that's a nice new term, plague state. <laughs> we'll all have to change our state names to the plague state instead of bluegrass state or the columbine state, just the plague state. We'll really, really get to our full return to the medieval times. It may honestly be time in history for two-thirds of the human population to, to get off the planet. Well, I mean, so, so far it seems like it's not nearly as bad as, you know, the plague killing a third to a half of the population, but uh, I mean, still, obviously, even at this state, it's it's going to cause already has caused all kind of ruptures, and there's going to be more to come because there's no evidence that the powers that be know what the fuck to do about. Uh, well, I think mean, they do know what to do. They they don't have the will to do anything. I mean, wearing masks. Well, and, they don't. They don't. Well, I mean, wearing masks is number one, but I'm just talking about economic ways of taking care of people uh, in the meantime uh, while things are... Right. And when there's also going to just be this hella 
depression with all these people out on the streets and all this. And they, they, yeah, I guess to a certain extent, they know that giving people the money and not even thinking twice about it. Um, um, speaking of, you know, my brother uh, has has been taking um, unemployment. Right. And uh, which you probably could too, and I probably should have too if I'd really known about it because it's it's a pretty generous program. You know, they really you just put down there can't work because of COVID, and you get your six hundred dollars a week. And um, well, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, it's probably going to end at end of July. So right, just because the pandemic will be over then too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think that um, I don't think that Mitch McConnell. Of course, they're going to blame it on the, the liberals, or uh, going to blame it on Mitch McConnell. But I'm I'm sure that the corporate Democrats aren't going to want it either. You know, sets the bad example of not having to, you know. Being in the precariat, you know, makes you see things a little bit different. Give people money like that, so got to stop that quick. So you can, right? But you know, we'll see because I mean, it's uh, if unrest starts occurring and enough pressure occurs and people get out in the street enough, so, you know, it may force the powers to be to. At least give a few more crumbs. Uh, yeah, but in, in America, I just think there's such a pride factor among the people. It's kind of these two factors that um, combine to make government the way that it is. I mean, that the it's it's corporate and business dominated, which means they basically want people to be slaves to money. And then the public has this ego that says, no matter what, I'm going to be able to make ends meet and I'm number one and I'm going to do a great job. And uh, Well, here here's a cynical possibility for uh, the Republicans to do something is to outflank the Democrats to the left and say, "Oh, here, you know, we see this looking bad. Here, here's here's more money, you know." And they lead sure. the charge, and they're able to, you know, because they're the leaders. Yeah, they're the ones that always uh, set the tone. Right. Yeah. So you you can predict that to happen. I mean, I guess they, uh, you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do, they do that because at their core they're such uh, kind of a cruel bunch, uh, the Republican Party nowadays. That I could see how they'd have a hard time adopting that idea. But then again, what does it mean to them? It'd be you know a few hundred billion dollars. They've already gotten you know how many gajillion dollars. Almost as much as the Catholic Church got. <laughs> how much did how much did they get? 
they got like three point four billion dollars. What? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Lord, I I should start a religion, man. No, no kidding. I mean, rather than file for unemployment and get your six hundred dollars, why not just say that you're a, a church and get billions of dollars? Yeah, on your list of blowback from impeachment as a topic. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of uh, picking up on what you were just saying about how the Republicans could actually exploit the the Democrats' reluctance to do anything for the people, which in some ways would be consistent with the 2016 election of having your Republican President Donald Trump doing the better job of uh, getting getting the Republican Party to rally around a populist movement, whereas Bernie Sanders couldn't do the same with the Democrats. Right, yeah. Um, but it's um, it, it's basically making the claim that the that it's it's the fault of the the Democrats that the coronavirus response has been so bad. And uh, let me see if I can make this fairly straightforward. Um, the the Democrats had impeached Trump in December. If, if I'm not mistaken, right? Weren't weren't uh, impeachment trials conducted during December? It was late in 2019, right? Right. Yeah. And one of the things the Democrats kept saying is that uh, Trump was unfit for office, right? Yeah. Well, if that's true, then the Democrats can't make any honest claim that they would have expected the president to make an adequate response to the coronavirus. So from the get-go, Congress and the Democrats should have been ready to lead the response. And as as you pointed out last week, I mean, Congress is a co-equal branch of government. They're not, Congress doesn't just sit there and wait for the president to do something. That's the whole point of the three branches, the balance of power is that they're all co-equal branches, judicial, legislative, and executive. So the only recourse that the Democrats would have to say is, well, we didn't really impeach Trump because we thought he was unfit for office. And then they would be, they'd be giving themselves away. We impeached him for political reasons. We just don't personally like him and we wanted him out of the white house. But the fact that they had the fact that the Democrats had just impeached Trump means that the Democrats cannot make an honest claim to the fact that they really ever expected in the first place that Trump would handle the pandemic effectively. And it's not like that they impeached him in 2017 and that there was a good two years in between when you could have thought, well, you know, actually, he's not that bad. He's doing some things. OK. Is, is this making any sense? Yeah. So it's got to be the Democrats' fault. I mean, the Democrats were admitting, we know the president is unfit to lead. He's unfit for office. He's both corrupt and incompetent and just does not have the temperament and mentality to do this, to to lead the country. 
Right. So why would they then, why would the Democrats then sit there having just impeached Donald Trump and then say, oh, here's a historic pandemic. Now our nation really is in crisis. Well, I'm sure the president will do a perfectly good job. (laughs) And all the Democrats have done, we talk about the Republicans politicizing this pandemic. All the Democrats have done the entire time is go on and on about what a bad job Donald Trump has done, which is true. But that doesn't mean that Congress isn't also doing an even worse job because Congress had the benefit of knowing ahead of time what kind of president and what kind of person Donald Trump is. So rather than, in other words, rather than here comes the pandemic, it's, it's, uh, it's January. Now it's February. The Democrats in Congress all have to get together and say, look, we know we have to be the ones to lead the response to this pandemic because we know since we just impeached the president that he is too incompetent, crazy, maniacal, clueless to mount an effective response. But instead, having just impeached Trump, the the Democrats in Congress then turned around and said, oh, this person that we just got done spending months talking about how horrible and how unfit for office he is, now we're going to sit here and play dumb and actually expect him to do a good job of leading the response to the pandemic. So that's, that's my stance, at least for this week, which is, is, is that America's failed response to the pandemic is primarily the fault of the Democrats and of, of, of Congress. Well, I don't, I definitely, whether or not it's fault, I mean, there is obviously a certain degree of things that just couldn't be done in time. But yeah, I mean, they, there was nothing tying their hands from talking about it from soon after they got these dire intelligence reports. Right, which they did not. They're so consumed by their elitism and and the sanctity of secrets and keeping it all a secret. And um, that's probably was a large part of it is that, oh, this is secret information. We can't even talk about it. You know? Well, as, as if you've, as you've called them uh, conceited and complacent, I think is a yeah, right. spot on way to talk about the Democrats. But we know that, there were democratic leaders in New York city who were encouraging people to go to a Chinatown parade. We know that the democratic mayor of New Orleans didn't want to shut down Mardi Gras, right? Business always comes first. Um, and, and we know that other leaders in Congress were, as you said, being secretive. I mean, not, using their platform to be vocal and even loud and warn people about what was about to happen. Yeah, because apparently they knew, what was it, early February when they got those intelligence reports? Or maybe it was late January. And It would have been around that time. Yeah, so I mean, and then it was pretty much mid-March before it really started to 
you know, get out into the mainstream press and stuff as a real. Well, I can tell you, if, if you'll give me one second to look at my calendar, okay. I can tell you the exact date when the world bended. Mm -hmm. Give me just one second here. Okay. Just one second. Okay. All right, this would have been, um, let's see, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, March the 11th. Mm. And I, I remember this, of course, because that would have been the second Wednesday of March, which is a week before the NCAA tournament. And within about 48 hours, what happened was um, an NBA basketball player named uh, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus. Right. Was he the been told that like then grabbed everybody's device as he went out the you remember that? He was um, he was like at a conference after he had tested positive and then he like grabbed everybody there were like phones and recording devices right. on the table and he like No, I believe it. I think that you're right, but yeah, some yeah. NBA player did that. Yeah, yeah, I mean these are the people <laughs> we give millions of dollars to every year and then look up to like LeBron James, like they're these super genius intellectuals. But anyway, um, yeah, so then they, he taking a joke and, about a deadly yeah. contagion. Now, I mean, anyway, I, I can give people early on a break because, I mean, I wasn't convinced for two or three weeks about, you know, how very serious it was, but... Uh, I have to. I disagree on 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 that one. I mean, I'm not I'm not uh, criticizing your response, but for me, I remember, and I think this happened in in December of 2019, mm -hmm. when China built two hospitals in 10 days, mm -hmm. specifically just for the coronavirus, and I think that happened before Christmas. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking. This is unprecedented. This is really bad because that never happens. And I can never think of a time when there's been a possible outbreak of a virus or a pandemic that it was so bad and so serious that two hospitals needed to be built specifically just for this one illness that that tells you that it has to be really really bad why else would they do that mm. well because they're china and they want to scare the world and shut down the world economy as revenge against donald trump and just this endless bunch of insanity here's another topic we've got to get to the absolute uh how poorly motivated american culture is i, I just got done reading a piece about how COVID-19 is beginning to resurge in uh, in states that earlier had beaten it back, like uh, California, Washington State, um, Michigan, and uh, one of the 
argument that that's made in this piece is well why is this happening and it's like well people are people are having uh crisis fatigue right they're they're just tired of dealing with it they're tired of being quarantined they're tired of being told what to do and of course i was thinking this before i even got further on down in the article but then there was this uh, professor at at berkeley who said well crisis fatigue isn't an adequate explanation because the europeans aren't getting tired the taiwanese aren't getting tired You've got all these other people around the world that actually have been able to sustain a suppression of the virus. So that that can't be it. So one of the things that this pandemic has revealed is that there's this other pathology in America of just incredibly poor motivation. And I think it has to do with being depressed and I think that gets back to the uh, good point that you made earlier in this program when you talked about how the focus uh, of the system, of the American system, can never be on the human being. It's always got to be on something abstract and formulaic, which is profit. And I just think that over time, that that sense, I mean, whether you understand it explicitly or not, this sense that you don't matter, I don't matter, none of us matter, but we just have to get up and and keep going to work and then turning right around and worrying about money all the time. I think that that just really weighs down the population. And a big problem with America's response to the coronavirus is from an emotional standpoint, there's been absolutely no enthusiasm. There's been no positive energy about, okay, at first this is scary, and then it becomes upsetting and frustrating, and it makes you angry. But then it's possible to get to another phase of emotion where you can say, well, I'm a human being. I have a brain. We can actually stop this. We can figure out how to problem solve. And I'd say that's another big part of the problem is a culture that is made problem solving obsolete from its skill set. But we could actually be enthusiastic and think there is a way to defeat this. I mean, just like you were pointing out with Japan a couple of weeks ago, and simply just wearing masks can stop this. So speaking of Japan, I very quickly, if I may, there's, there's another quick point I, I, I want to make. Um, the question was put to a, uh, epidemiologist about, you know, could Donald Trump have saved more lives? And the, uh, and the epidemiologist says, well, it's not a theoretical question. It's a, it's a, the absolute answer is yes. And all we have to do is, is look at Japan. And if I'm remembering this correctly, this is what the person basically said, which is Japan has uh, the population of, I think, 1.3 million people. And they, cumulatively have 970 deaths. Now think about that. So if it's 1.3 million in Japan and it's 3.2 million in the United States, basically Japan has a third of the population that the United States does. So just to make the math easy, 
round the number of 970 up to 1,000 and multiply it times three in order to make the number proportionate to what it would be if it had the same size population of the United States, in which case that would make 3,000 deaths. That's 3,000 deaths compared to the United States, which as of yesterday had 135,118 deaths. So subtract 3,000 from that. That means if the United States response had been better, if we had followed best practices, we would have saved at least 132,000 lives. Yes, indeed. So there's really there's there there's uh there's a really deep dark pathology in this culture of uh, you know part of it is just not even loving life. I think like what? Well, who cares if I get this and die, or who cares if somebody else gets it and die? I mean, people die every day, and I'm covered in blood anyway. I'm going to uh, I'm going to heaven. So whatever. <laughs> right. Or some totally hallucinated uh, <laughs> reaction. <laughs> um, but just, you know, I can't, I don't have any patience. I don't have any self-discipline. Uh, I don't have any optimism. I don't have any inner strength. I just, just, I need my sports on television. I need to be able to go out to restaurants and do these things that are just really boring. I mean, in America, we think of them as entertainment. I mean, they're going to open up Walt Disney World. Oh, here's something we've got to get to. Reopening schools. I mean, like right now when we're having, did you know that if Florida were a country, it would have the fourth highest number of cases and average new cases per day in the world. Hmm. It'd be the United States, Brazil, India, and Florida. Hmm. So the United States is number one and number four in the world in infections and deaths. I mean, the numbers out of Florida, like every day it's 70,000 new cases and then 80,000 new cases. And the numbers will just keep going up. It's science. I mean, it's like it's like a rocket going in one direction. Like it'll continue to go in that direction until it blows up or it turns around. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw some video of Disney World, you know, opening back up and. It's just such a strange, strange phenomenon in itself. I mean, what the hell do you do in those places? Are they gonna have rides or something? Or it's a it's a miserable, boring fantasy world where everybody's supposed to think that they're having this great fun time. It's typical America. Like, what is so great about it? I mean, yeah, you have theme parks, you have all the Walt Disney characters walking around like sports mascots, like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. <laughs> Children get excited about it. The children are happy, so that means mom is happy. So if mom is happy, that means dad might get laid, so then dad might be happy. <laughs> but it's just this, you know, super expensive way to pretend like you're actually enjoying yourself and that you've done something great. 
I don't have any idea what's so great about it. <laughs> I mean, an interesting thing, kind of going back to some of the things that we were talking about at the beginning of, of people changing the way that they live. But, um, I mean, as a, as a sports fan, as a, as a baseball fan, I mean, I haven't missed baseball for a single second. Like, just couldn't care less. I think it's a total joke that they're going to try to have opening day on July the 23rd or something. Like, well, won't this be, won't this be great? And it's a guarantee that they're going to have to shut it down because you're already seeing people uh, testing positive. Arolis Chapman, who is an all-star closer for the New York Yankees, tested positive. Uh, Freddie Freeman, all-star first baseman for the Atlanta Braves, has tested positive. Another thing you have to keep in mind, many Major League Baseball players are Latino. And COVID-19 has a higher death rate among Latinos and blacks, and there are also a good number of blacks who who play baseball as well, uh, than it does among white people. And... um, it's, it's going to spread. It's already spreading. I mean, it's not like people have even a um, fool's gold rationale for starting things back up. Like was the case, say, two months ago when the numbers were at least plateauing and people were saying, see, it's, it's going away. It's all under control. It's like, yeah, but the reason that the numbers are plateauing is everybody's locking down. As soon as we end the lockdown, and it's basically a consensus among uh, many governors and health experts that the lockdown was lifted too early, um, the numbers are going to go back up. But here, the numbers are already going up. Like, nationally, the numbers are skyrocketing. And um, yeah, let's, by my numbers, it's, last week was 130K. This week it's 137, so it's plus 7K uh, from last week. Last week it was plus 4K, so it's almost doubled. Yeah, I have I have similar numbers. Um, I, I didn't get numbers for today. I was looking at the numbers I had yesterday. So you're saying it's up to 137,000? Yeah, yeah. All right, hold on a second. Let me see if I, if I got anything for... Um, july the 6th and i did so yeah so what were your numbers again 137,000. yeah and 130k last week and 100 and yeah i had i had 130,813. i'm so smart i can still do math uh in my in my head by just on pen and paper let's see borrow from that that makes an eight borrow from that a one changes that to a six so that's an increase of of six thousand one hundred and eighty seven uh which is actually smaller than the than the increase that i had of six thousand four hundred but we could just round that off and and just say increase of plus six thousand and then uh if we're going to go with the week of the 13th um then uh and then the sixth so then we would go from the sixth to um june the 30th of 125 um 
Yeah, I mean, it's an increase of between 1,500 and uh, 610. Let's see, what was that um, number from the fifth? Um, oh, yeah, going back a previous week. We'll just make that a six, yeah, 4,000. Yeah, it's an increase. It's an increase of over of over two thousand. It's an increase of two thousand one hundred and eighty seven. Increase from the week of uh, July thirteenth to July the sixth to the previous week of uh, June the thirtieth to July the sixth. Numbers going up. Um, but the really crazy thing is the reopening of schools. I mean, this is, and what's so crazy about it is all of these parents are acting <laughs> like they are grade school and above or all schools. Yeah. Like I just saw on, on Facebook, there's a, um, a letter from the Murray independent school district saying, here's our new school year. And, and Murray is doing basically what the whole country is doing, which is that they're going to give people the option of doing at home virtual learning, or they can, do their regular in-class learning. And the latest that I've heard, everybody is still going ahead with sports. So it's hard to see how you can tackle someone in football mm -hmm. and maintain social distancing. Well, it's, I mean, it's obvious it's going to happen. What will happen is that, you know, a lot of them will have to close back down the second that they start spreading Right, but what makes it such a insanely irresponsible decision is that it's a decision that affects not only parents and their school children, it affects the entire community because all school is is a mass gathering. And so this is how the virus will spread in the local community and then all of these people then leave school and then spread it to the cross-section of the general population. Well, I'm surely they are going to have distancing, you know, not as crowded rooms or, you know, you think so. Well, you can't even be sure about that because there aren't really any specific things of this is what you do. It's just, it's Betsy DeVos saying, you're going to reopen school, but it'll basically be left up to you as to how to do it. You know, school by school, district by district decision making. So, you know, we'll give the orders and you're the ones who will be liable for whatever goes wrong. You know, we'll tell you what to do, but then uh, you'll be responsible for when things don't go right. Well, it doesn't kill young people nearly as much anyway, so. No, but it kills teachers. Like that teacher in Arizona who taught uh, summer school, and um, not, there was a group. Not of, too many of them anyway. Not, not too many of them. <laughs> yeah. Got to clear them out. But that's the ridiculous thing about... Um, 
you know, starting up, starting up football and, and having school is, it's just, um, they're going to, they're going to turn around and just shut it back down. They'll have to, I mean, what happens as soon as, uh, let's say, you know, Murray middle school reopens and, uh, how long is it going to be before one student tests positive or one teacher tests positive? And that's how you have to think about it because, you know, one, one teacher tests positive and then, you know, where has that teacher been? Well, they've been to the grocery. They've been around other teachers. And you're going to, you're going to, if it'll be just potentially all over the community. That's happening. Are, is it this month that the um, conventions are supposed to be? Uh, I think maybe one of them is supposed to happen toward uh, the, the end of this month. I think maybe the Republican convention is at the end of this month and then the uh, um, the Democratic convention is going to be in August. Hmm. And I guess that uh, the end of Bernie's task force task forces didn't really pan out anything for his side of the you know his influence on the. Did you see that how the you know the Democratic committee came together to come up with the platform and stuff and you know they didn't have Medicare for all and et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, as, as always, the Democrats are just uh, trashing and using Bernie Sanders. I mean, they're, they're trying to act like that he still matters because they want to get the votes of his supporters, but then they hate him and they hate his ideas. So they have to, at the same time, kind of shut all of that down. But that's got to be one of the biggest stories of, of the year. I mean, certainly the, the, the virus is number one, and I would say the George Floyd protest would be number two. But definitely in the top five is just the instantaneous obsolescence of Bernie Sanders. I mean, he, you know, he went from uh, someone that was at least. He was a walking. contender. What's that? He was a contender. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, he was, uh, you know, kind of gets back to the whole uh, theme of emotion and enthusiasm and, and how that's just completely missing from American culture. It's just so uh, sterile. And, and I think that you're right to say that that's attributable to a system that doesn't have human beings as its focus, um, which is awfully, talk about self-alienation. I mean, you're a human being, but you're, you're not focused on being a human being. You're focused on these abstract concepts, you know, which you are not one of those. Um, but, uh, I mean, Bernie is, is uh, rarely ever heard from. And I mean, and talk about a big joke. I mean, the, and then the, the things, I mean, really for the first time since I've been following Bernie Sanders, he's just, he's starting to sound like just uh, another typical uh, Democrat because he said that 
you know, Joe Biden's platform is the most progressive since uh, FDR and what? Uh, I mean, just things that that, you know, Bernie himself would have been criticizing six months ago. Oh, Lord. Well, yeah, I don't see any good electoral outcomes. Nope. Uh, that brings me uh, that brings me to another point of the, uh, and we may have talked this uh, talked about this some last week, but um, the idea of a of a tipping point. Did did I bring that up last week? Perhaps. Yeah. Well, there's this uh, book called you know Tipping Point by. Malcolm Gladwell, which is the big popularity, look at how smart I am because I read this book, uh, kind of American thing, when you're, you're doing this reading, but of course there can't be any critical thinking involved around the reading that you're doing. And the question being, you know, is there really ever any tipping point in America? And I think the whole thing that makes America, America, is that there never is a tipping point. Look at the incredibly bad things, out of control things that have happened in this country just in the last six months. And yet, when you look at the upcoming presidential election this fall, it couldn't be more of the same old, same old, right? You've got two old, really conservative candidates, one just a total fascist and then the other one is an entrenched 40-year Washington DC uh, also conservative a conservative in in Biden who if he's not a right-wing extremist himself he sympathizes with right-wing extremists so my question is, you know, where is the tipping point? I mean, we're we're taking down statues. They're going to change the name of the Washington Redskins football team. I mean, that's not any kind of a major cultural change. That's like saying we're going to change the wallpaper. Well, I, I mean, you got to admit it will be better wallpaper. Maybe it'll be like tie-dyed wallpaper, man. It'll be wallpaper made with uh, recyclable material. (laughs) Endorsed by Greta Thunberg. (laughs) Paper it over. But but I just I fail to see I mean such a ridiculous comment for Bernie Sanders to say that Joe Biden's going to be the most progressive candidate since FDR, and we've got a we've got a national pandemic going on, and yet Joe Biden still does not favor Medicare for all. How are you going to fight a pandemic without? universal health care. How are you going to get everybody the testing and the treatment that they need 
when millions have lost their health insurance that they had to their job because they're now unemployed. I mean, that's the real story with, with America is that it just never changes no matter what. It always puffs right back into shape. It always is the same thing. I mean, that's almost a, a kind of death right there, right? I mean, what is death? I mean, just it never changes. Death in life. <laughs> Speaking of, um, guess what movie was on the other day that I thoroughly enjoyed watching? Uh, Death and Life, Jaws. <laughs> the Seventh Seal. Oh, oh, you were talking about that. Uh, yeah, remember watching that for our uh, 40th birthdays? <laughs> that was that was that was a good time and. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that that I it's a great movie. It was whenever a movie that I consider to be one of the best ever made comes on, I, I watch it and I'm I'm eager to see like, well, has my opinion changed? Like, am I going to actually be bored? Am I going to watch this and be half an hour in and think, why did I ever think this movie was so good? But no, it's just a great movie. I mean, the dialogue is great. The Cinematography is great. The story is is is, is great. The whole thematics about the uh, interconnectedness of humanity, which is uh, which is a, a quintessential theme for the pandemic. I mean, it's a why is why can there be such a thing as a contagious virus? Because we're all interconnected. If we if we weren't interconnected, there couldn't be a contagion, right? Because we would all be living in our own individual bubble. So let's uh, run out of time. Let's uh, make some predictions. Well, since there was already, what did we say about that increase in deaths from the previous week? Plus two thousand. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say that it'll increase again. I'm also going to predict that more uh, athletes are going to be testing positive. Uh, by the way, uh, Russell uh, Res Russell Westbrook, an all-star NBA player, uh, has tested positive for COVID-19, and he's quarantining. And um, since we did get into some uh, talk about the uh, political parties, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, my um, my claim that the uh, the Democrats are quickly headed for obsolescence. The, the Democratic Party will not make it to the year 2030. They, they they will not make it, and it won't even matter if Joe Biden wins the 2020 election because we all know that it, even if he does win, nothing will change. Everything will stay exactly the same. And that will just further alienate um, Democratic voters. But by the way, I've got to say, I've got to get a dig in on uh, Amy McGrath. 
Yeah. yeah. Do we have enough time for me to do that? Sure. So one of my arguments about why Republicans dominate American politics is that Republicans simply give people what they want, and the Democrats do not. And so over time, the enthusiasm for Republican politics increases, and the enthusiasm for the Democrats decreases. Now, when I say the Republicans give people what they want, I don't mean all people. I'm just saying of the people who align with the Republican Party, the Republican Party gives those people exactly what they want. And the three primary examples that I cite are if you want to make tons of money and not pay any, not pay any taxes, then you get to do that. Uh, if you want to have guns, you get to have your guns. And if you want to be an evangelical who dominates your local political scene, we've got support for you to do that as well. So the Republicans 100% give people who support their party what they want. Then on the other side of it, you've got Amy McGrath, who wants to repair a bridge in northern Kentucky. Now, doesn't that get you excited, Dave? <laughs> Is that her main platform now? That's a that's thing she's making a big issue out of. She, and and it's, it's especially a big deal because Amy McGrath grew up in northern Kentucky. Ah. So not only does she want to repair the bridge there, but she grew up there. So now you should really want to vote for her. Because if you're like we are, and you also grew up in Kentucky, you've got to think, wow, she grew up in Kentucky. Well, that's just incredible. Wow. But it's but look, I mean, here's the contrast. It's like you're a Republican. You, you, you probably fall within one of those three subgroups, right? You love money. You want to make tons of money. You don't want to pay taxes. Republicans say you get to do that. No qualifiers, no ifs, ands, or buts. You want to make tons of money and not pay taxes, you get to do that. You love guns, you get to have your guns. You're an evangelical and you want to dominate your local political scene and your local community, you get to do that. So, of course, people are enthusiastic about supporting them. And then by contrast, you know, you're a Democrat, how are you going to generate the same kind of enthusiasm? We're going to repair a bridge. Wow. You know, neither she nor Joe Biden have said a word about legalizing marijuana. And you've got these Americans being so phony about they're not going to wear a mask because freedom Right, because we, we love our freedom so much, we're not going to wear these masks. We're going on two years now since Canada, as an entire country, has legalized cannabis. So instead of the Democrats all getting together and saying, well, since Americans love freedom so much, why don't we say, well, if Canada's done it, we're the leader of the free world, we should do it too. Nope. I mean, am I missing something? Or... Uh, is it not the case that absolutely no Democrats and certainly not the Democratic Party as a whole have said a word about just 
legalizing cannabis. Well, I did. I did hear McConnell beat up on uh, the Democrats. I guess it was their. Um, it's not the CARES Act. What was the Heroes Act that the Democrats in the House were pushing? Um, oh, to let veterans get their me- uh, their medical dope. Well, no. I mean, what McConnell was saying was, and there's um. And this bill ha- mentions cannabis uh, more times than it does the word jobs. You know, that's what he said. So he, Slaves the money. <laughs> and cannabis instead of jobs. Of course, <clears throat> even that is a, is, a, is a lie and a stupid thing to say. I mean, legalizing cannabis would, among other things, create many jobs. Right. Well, I think there must have been something in the bill related to can- the cannabis industry, you know. Yes, but it's probably one of these things we where it, we, I think that some of the protections are of, of state-level legal cannabis are about to expire. So it was probably something about extending the protections, making sure that federal funds can't be used to raid uh, dispensaries in legal states. But that, again, is the, is the whole problem with the Democrats is instead of being the aggressor and setting the agenda and acting like you have some confidence in what you believe in and just saying it's time to legalize cannabis. I mean, how can you say that America is the leader of the free world and you've got Canada right to your north that has already as a country done this? And you're sitting here claiming that not wearing a mask, of all things, is the ultimate expression of freedom. But still, Americans don't want to do it. But still, they insist on talking about themselves as though they are free people. Instead of using Canada as saying, look, Canada's done this, now the United States really has to do it. We can't be left behind and let these, what do they call them, the, the hosers up in, uh, up in Canada with their, uh, with their hockey sticks and their, their seven-month winners uh, having more freedom than we do. No, this, that's the problem with the Democrats. That's why within 10 years they will be obsolete because just, there's zero enthusiasm for – for them as a party. They don't, the people who, who identify as Democrat and are, are one of the subgroups that you would in general categorize as being part of the Democratic Party, none of those people get 100% what they want. You know, they can't say it's like, okay, we've got a lot of poor people, you get a basic universal income. You know, a lot of people out there want to smoke pot, you're going to get to smoke pot. Now, a lot of other people um, want free health care. You're going to get your free health care. Other people want uh, world-class uh, public transportation. You're going to get that, too. And so you have Democrats. We're going to give these other groups of people 100% of what they want to counter the Republicans who give their followers 100% of what they want. You know, money, guns, and Jesus versus marijuana 
basic universal income, healthcare, and public transportation. But we don't get anything like that. It's like Republicans get everything they want, and then to counter that, Amy McGrath comes along and says, I'm going to repair a bridge. Wow. With, with help from Trump, probably. Right, because because I want to make sure that Donald Trump gets his <laughs> agenda through, which is why I'm opposing Mitch McConnell. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? <laughs> we'll but yeah, to... I'll say that uh, by this time next week, the death rate will increase. It'll be over 2,000. I think that there will be more Major League Baseball players who are testing positive, as well as professional athletes. And um, and I'm going to say that uh, the majority of Americans will be super eager for uh, school to start in the fall. I'll guess 10,000 more deaths, so 147,000. And you mean 10,000 between this week and next week? Yeah, I think it's going to increase that much. Why? <laughs> it's going to go from 2,000 to 10,000? Well, I, um, I mean, it was it was a 7K increase from last week, uh, so that would be like a 10K increase. No, it wasn't a 7,000 increase. Not by numbers. My numbers say otherwise, man. I see what my numbers say. Well, hold on a second. What did your numbers actually say? You must be looking at the at Fox or something, man. Last week it was 130k. Um, right. So it's a 7,000. Okay. I'm, but I'm talking about yeah. So increase. I'm not talking about numbers. So you're saying a 3,000 increase. Yeah. So it was 7,000. Yeah. Last week to this week. Next week it'll be ten thousand increase. Okay. The one forty seven K deaths. So it'll increase by about ten thousand. But that's another thing about just how obstinate and and stupid and just determined not to learn anything so many Americans are that as the as the number of infections have been soaring and you, I mean you can get on Facebook and just get a general idea of what most Americans are thinking. They're like yeah, but deaths are, are down. You know, deaths aren't going up, so it's getting better. And, of course, it's just a refusal to understand even the most basic fundamental things about science as applied to this particular pandemic. It's like, first, the infections go up. Then, about three weeks to a month later, you see the other numbers go up because people have to get infected first, then the other bad things start to happen, like the hospitalizations, then the ICUs, and then the deaths. So, so since the infections have been skyrocketing for really the last three weeks, definitely by the time August comes around, that's when you'll really see the deaths beginning to, to skyrocket. But I'll guarantee you it still won't change the minds of Americans in terms of sending their kids back to school well, you know, we got to think about their mental health, too. It'd be a mental health problem if they don't get back to school. i got to get these fucking kids out of my house. And... <laughs> right. So they're, they're selfish. You know, they're pretending to be clinical psychologists when really all they're saying is they don't really want to be a parent in the first place. <laughs> and they've, they've built their whole parenting around that they're just going to 
make money and use their money as a way to give the kid to do things so they don't really have to interact with the child. And the big part of that is, well, Jesus, if we can just get through the summer, we can, you know, send it back to school. And Okay. Um, that was a good pod. As always, this is Dr. Dave Overby for the Oblivion Podcast. Yep, David Miller here. We'll see you. Until next time. Indeed.